If you're still deciding on your spring break getaway, Amtrak's got just the ticket. You can visit cities from D.C. and Philly to New York and Boston, all while enjoying more sustainable travel. Amtrak produces up to 83% less carbon emissions than traveling by car or plane. And did we mention the extra legroom and comfy seats? Book early and save at Amtrak.com. Click or tap the banner. Emissions comparisons vary depending on route and locomotive type. Restrictions may apply. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'm in a period of emotional people. Is that all the, oh, I don't care crap? A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast, where we're all about commander, data, and dad jokes. I'm Joey Schultz and I'm joined by my fantastic co-hosts. Up first, he can't wait to discover into a Cascade card, or is it Cascade into a Discover card? It's Matt Morgan. So a friend of mine recently completed a 40-week bodybuilding program, and it's it's the results are amazing. It's a girl and it weighs 7 pounds and 12 ounces. Oh, because it's build it literally building a body. <laughs> literally built the body in the belly. So I, I realize now that might be a little confusing, but literally built a body. Wow. All right. Interesting cut there, Matt. That's funny stuff. Okay. Up next, he's about to make X map tokens because X marks the spot. It's Dana Roach. Uh, what do you call Santa Claus when he's wearing earmuffs? Uh, I'm not sure, but I'm going to regret asking what? <laughs> Whatever you want. He can't hear. <laughs> that's, you're not wrong. You're yeah. technically not wrong. <laughs> that's, that's the best kind of being not wrong. Yeah. Oh, man. Okay. You, you, you guys are silly. I appreciate you. And I'm glad that we're all recording together again. We had yes. a couple of, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. it's, it's the holidays are coming up. We each have needed some time to like, you know, do to things holiday. other than just play magic. <laughs> we needed some time to holiday. Exactly. Matt, what is it that we're talking about on this week's episode? So this week, we're going to talk about cards that seem to always result in just something worth a story being told. Just the, these We've talked about anticlimactic cards before, but now we're going to talk about the climactic cards, if that yeah. makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Cards that make stories. You pitched this as a show idea, and I think it's such a great show idea because of like <laughs> that stories is what the game's all about. And these are some cards that every time we see them, you're right. They're noteworthy. They're the kind of things that we'll like tell other folks about later on after that game is over. They're really fun to remember, and it'll be fun to see what those cards are and which commanders are most likely to play them and things like that. Before we get into our main topic, though, we got some shout outs to do. First, I'd like to thank Chase, a.k.a. Mana Curves, for the help in editing the show. You can find them online at Mana Curves. 
And if you would like to support the show, you can do so by liking this video, subscribing on YouTube, subscribing to your local podcast app, or you can go to patreon.com slash edhretcast, where you have patron tiers of all sorts of levels, whether you want to join our Discord community for just $2 a month, or you want to see all of our historic challenges, stats, picks, there's all that and more over at patreon.com slash edhretcast, including the weekly patron shoutout, which... This week, we are going to give a very special shout out to Jamie Wright, who certainly did the right thing and went to <laughs> patreon.com slash edhretcast. So, Jamie, thank you. You're not wrong. You are definitely right with just so many things. You know what was wrong, though, Matt? Hmm. That dad joke. That silly pun was wrong. Now, it's been a while since we've had some truly low-hanging fruit. So, Jamie... Um, thank you for stepping in and just giving me some fuel. <laughs> nice, nice. Okay, guys, let's get into our topic here. We are talking about some cards that make stories, things that when you see them, they lead to really cool, memorable moments. Um, I, I think, uh, Dana, I'll actually like pass this right off to you and ask, where is it that you stand when it comes to the cards that make cool stories? I mean, that's one of the first things I look at when I'm evaluating a card in a deck um, yeah. is I want to have some amount of cards in my list that that make for a good story. Um, in the one that most recently came up for me, well, Stroke of Midnight was a card we got uh, recently, like, you know, 14, 15 sets ago. Um, white removal spell and, you know, looking at my list, it's probably a better inclusion in, in white decks than Council's Judgment. Uh, Council's Judgment is a, is a sorcery speed for the same cost, um, but it's a voting card. Mm. And, it, you know, everyone votes for a permanent um, that you don't control. And permanents, the permanent with the most votes are tied for the most votes gets exiled. Um, Stroke of Midnight probably consistently because it's an instant speed. You can respond to stuff. Um, is probably a better removal spell. But, man, Council's Judgment... Almost every time it gets cast, something interesting happens. Um, and you usually can get rid of the thing you wanted to get rid of, but people's reaction who aren't used to it, aren't sure how it plays, trying to figure out what to get rid of, it, it's just always a fun card to play that can sometimes wind up a situation where like it takes out four permanents and everyone is just shocked at how effective it is. And the fact that it even exists in the first place um, can tend to throw people for a loop. So, like, that's the the one that pops into my head when I think of this kind of thing is is that particular spell, especially removal spells. How often are those interesting? That's an interesting one. I mean, Council's Judgment is kind of the modern day Shahrazad when it comes to everything stops and you start playing a mini game of <laughs> yeah, everybody's yeah. politicking <laughs> against everybody. It it, it yeah. really does just turn the whole game on its side and just everybody is trying to figure out how they can save their things, but also make sure that we're trying to get as many different things for other players as possible. I, I love what it does. What's especially funny is that that's the kind of card that actually will take like five full minutes to resolve. And at the end of it, only one thing left the battlefield sometimes. And so like the actual sure. impact on <laughs> sure. the game, sometimes it can be very, very minimal. It's just like, oh, maybe something that you expected to leave did in fact leave. But it took us a long time to get there. And that moment of just like, oh, but I have to vote for this. But then I know that she'll vote for the other thing. So I have to time my vote and like, oh, how do I like it, it, it takes a long time to resolve on that is the the communal joy part of it for me the end result sometimes ends up being a little bit like oh you know sure it just it was a removal spell but the actual like moment that occurred for us to get to that mm -hmm. yes sometimes it does get rid of two things sometimes i have seen it get rid of four things not often not gonna lie 
But just the voting part of it and how long that part takes is really where the, the most fun of that card exists. See, the, the players three and four, when that spell is cast, have so much power because <laughs> usually it's, you know, the, the person who's casting it, they know what they want to target. The person who goes next usually might try to deflect a little bit, if especially if it's something that's getting targeted of theirs. But players three and four can just cause so much chaos yeah. by not just going, oh, I we, we can just make sure that four things get taken out. That's When that happens, Joey, like you said, it doesn't happen very often, but what it does, it is so silly to see happen. So, so you suggested this, Matt. So like, what's what's your kind of go-to example for a card like this? So I actually had a, a story that inspired me wanting to talk about this happened this past weekend. So uh, some of my, my best friends, we were all getting together to play games and hang out for the weekend. And somebody cast a board wipe, which folks are typically going to do in a, in a game of commander. And what usually happens, especially when somebody's playing Boros is they, they play Boros charm. It's a pretty good card, protects your deck, <laughs> makes all your things indestructible. But my council of four deck has been probably one of my favorite things to play lately, just because it, it's manipulating who has what. And, and it's only as good as my opponent's decks really. So I cast reigns of power in response to the Boros charm, which I let m myself and the person who cast the Boros charm, well, so we just swapped creatures and then the Boros Charm went off, which protected all of my creatures. And it was absolutely ridiculous. Shouting was was shouted. Um, a lot of words, <laughs> words I can't say here, but it was such a ridiculous story. Reigns of Power is just such a fantastic, just didn't see it coming type of card. But you really should have because it's it's just such a powerful card that just... I think folks kind of forgot about it was reprinted in Baldur's Gate, but this card does so many wonderful things. One of the most like high key versatile spells that you can play. The fact that it's an instant opens up a lot of stuff. If someone's attacking you, you can like if player A is attacking you, you can cast a spell to steal player B's blockers and then more optimally block player A. You can steal player A's attackers that are coming at you to use this as just a fog. Or uh, I played this a lot in group hug decks, and I think according to the uh, according to Idiotrack, that's where this card sees the most plays in like Feldegriff kind of decks, Kaneos and Tiro decks, or also in Furkrag cunning instigator so some goatee shenanigans going on there as well um but like having your opponents you've been giving people stuff that you will then take from them as well so this card can totally be a win condition in addition to being a defensive thing reigns of power is always a stunner any single time that i see it yeah i think reigns of power is part of kind of a broader category of cards too that that make for good stories because of the versatility and I think it's one of those situations where like you'll see someone use reins of power as a fog and you'll see someone use reins of power to take out one of all of their opponent's blockers by bringing them over to your side and, and stopping an alpha strike. Um, so say you save yourself while you put someone else's board, like there's a lot of different things you can do with it. And the fact that it's so versatile, um, makes it one of those cards. Like I, I make, makes us, you, you talk about it like this. Oh man, you just did that. But I once saw someone do this with that card. I, I think sudden spoiling is one of those cards that I, that I feel that way about where mm -hmm. there's, nice. there's yeah. a ton of different uses, similar to reigns of power. Um, and it's almost never the same one in back to back games. And there's a lot of room for creativity to it along with, you know, reigns of power as well. So like if you are really looking for a weird corner case use, you can find those things 
that just out of the blue throw somebody for a loop. But you can use it to turn off someone's consecrated sphinx when you're about to draw a whole bunch of cards or something. Like there's a bunch of really odd corner case uses with something like sudden spoiling that just make it for an interesting spell because you can just talk about all the different ways you've used it or seen it get used. Same with reigns of power. The the split second on sudden spoiling is especially just mm-hmm. just a chef's kiss kind of moment. It's one of those cards that if like they're arranging blockers in front of your enormous creatures, you're just like, there's no way they're oh oh no, and there's nothing you can do about it. So yeah, it just it and me, initially when you see these cards, maybe the defensive abilities come to mind, but like their offensive capabilities and their proactive capabilities are what I think really send them over the top. There's a lot of that uh, secret proactiveness that they contain that I think is just. Excellent. And Dana, you mentioned the flexibility of them. Mm-hmm. That kind of brings me to one of the, the things that I think can lead to some of the most entertaining stuff uh, here, some of the wildest stories that you'll see. I think charms across the board, that flexibility really lends them to some great stuff. Matt, you your story that you just mentioned there contained Boros Charm, mm-hmm. which I've seen used to terrific effect to either give us your stuff indestructible or give something double strike to make your commander lethal, for instance. Or I've seen that four damage that it deals also be relevant to deals the final damage to someone who like got all the way down to three life or something like that. But really, my favorite charm is Naya Charm. This is the one that I think especially produces a ton of really cool stories. This is the kind of card that makes me wish I had a Naya deck. I know, Matt, that's a weird thing for me, the Necromancer, to say. It is. <laughs> but Naya Charm's the kind of thing that could persuade me to come over to, to your side of the commander camp. That's the three mana instant. It deals three damage to target creature, or it can return target card from a graveyard to its owner's hands, or it can tap all creatures target player controls. This is so hecking versatile. The three damage to a creature, that's nice to pick off something utility, but returning stuff from your graveyard to your hand, that's already good. This can be political. You can have someone else get something back from their graveyard if you need them, uh, like a mutual ally to get back a removal spell to get rid of an arch enemy problem. And you can tap down all creatures target player controls. That's if you think that they're about to attack you, or you can tap them down to get a whole bunch of stuff through and then they're left defenseless against everyone else. Naya Charm, the flexibility here leads to just absolutely wild moments. I hecking love this thing. See, I, I, Joey, you said you you joined my side with Naya Charm. I'm gonna, since you're on my side, I have to go over to your side. Golgari Charm, absolutely fantastic. Uh, the minus one, minus one, absolutely silly against token decks, regenerating your board. Uh, there's every mode on Golgari Charm. I would wager Golgari Charm probably the best charm for commander just all around i know there's some stiff competition lately but absolutely charms in general you just get so much mileage out of them and they're almost never dead in any given game well and i think i mean since we we're we're talking about broad categories um things that surprise people is is one that i think um is kind of a broader category as well and i think charms have a the ability to do that especially if they're one that has two good modes and one kind of afterthought mode. Yeah. Um, you know, Dawn Charm's a really good card, but primarily folks are running it because there's just not a ton of white fog. So, hey, you've got a white fog right there on Dawn Charm, and occasionally you'll use it to save one of your creatures. That's really useful too. But there's also a mode that says counter targets while the target's you. And that's <laughs> probably not the kind of thing that like you would run in a deck. It, it, it happens so infrequently that it's probably not, it's not worth devoting a slot to. But... There are those times when you are holding up that Dawn Charm mana in case someone alpha strikes you, and they don't, but someone targets you with a thing, and you've got that Dawn Charm there in hand that no one is at all ready for. 
and you counter that spell that targets you. It's in people talk about that. Like that is the kind of thing that everyone remembers because no one was ready for it. And I think that's the beauty of some of the charms. Sometimes is you get these these modes that you weren't planning on ever using, but occasionally because you have that card in hand because of the really good modes, the modes that you don't use get a chance to shine, and that makes for a story. Not only that, but also the fact that sometimes these charms do they. they they, they get you out of positions that like no other card would get you out of like right if, if we've seen game nights live the way that kathleen devere won with a rakdos charm where each creature deals one damage to his controller that mode on rakdos charm is one that, like i think when people see rakdos charm they think ha i'm gonna exile joey's graveyard no you're probably gonna kill me because of all the tokens that i have and the rakdos charm is gonna be like one of the few things that would like absolutely demolish me in that moment or the naya charm i've that has been sometimes the only thing that i've seen able to get back a card from someone's graveyard to get them out of a really terrible position excuse me to get back uh, a mutual allies card from their graveyard like the instant speed interactions that it does like there's the surprisingness of something that's unusual and the fact that those modes can be so niche in some cases and so unusual that they are exactly the, one of the only things that will get you out of some of those uh, really messy binds and so their flexibility just sends them through the roof to me i mean it's not a true charm in name but like warping whale is one in function um <laughs> in, in colorless mm -hmm. um it has three modes exile target creature with power one or less which i have used the main reason i run it in the deck where i run it is because it's a deck that makes eldrazi spawns and scion so there's a mode on there create a one one eldrazi scion creature token but there's a shocking amount of times I use the mode to counter a sorcery spell. Mm -hmm. And that's never not, that, that is never not memorable in a Golgari deck to counter someone's sorcery spell mm -hmm. with mana you were leaving up to like just at the end of the turn, make a Eldrazi Scion that you wanted to use for, you know, my Jahira deck. Um, it's it's the catching people off guard with a thing they were not ever ready for. Amazing. Yeah, can, can confirm. Warping Whale, I have that in my Raga Draga deck, which if there's anything more shifty than counterspells in Golgari, it might be counterspells in Gruul. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, right. I also run Warping Whale and it always is super funny to catch people just totally not expecting it to happen, especially because it's the, the colorless mana to cast it. That's what I think people yeah. never see coming. Well, as long as you're talking about counterspells, mana tithe, right? Like, <laughs> Yeah, if, well, I mean, I think any counterspell that's not in blue because no one's ready for it. And that is always a funny story. Like, I think everyone can, everyone has a manatide story. There's, it, it never gets cast in a situation that isn't funny. Well, and then let's also be honest, along with these, some of our favorite memories also come from like playing a pyroblast, right? A, a red thing that can counter a blue spell or destroy a blue permanent. I mean, it's fun to kill a Muldrotho with a one mana red spell. Um, th those are very, very entertaining. And they can. It, it's, it's nice to counter a Cyclonic Rift for one mana. It really is. And I think um, on EDHREC, we tend to see that some of these unusual counter spells, some of the places that we see them most often are going to be in like Sunforger decks, for instance, because it's really funny to be able to use the Sunforger to get anything Thing in your deck that you need from the Boros Charm type of effects to I'll counter a spell straight up with those mana tithes that people didn't see coming, a lapse of certainty, a pyroblast. They give you a whole lot of flexibility, and that's one of the places we most popularly see them. But you should play them in more than just those places, too, because those unusual counter spells are delicious when you do see them. I haven't seen Imp's Mischief cast that often, but every time I've seen it used to like redirect a spell or to counter a counter spell by pointing it back at itself, mm. it's always an amazing story to see that kind of thing used because just again no one's ready to see a mono black deck or like a you know golgari deck or something do that kind of thing and yeah it, it's 
the unexpected is the kind of thing that you still think and talk about months and months and years later in some cases. I mean, I would almost argue that any redirect effect yeah. is is kind of unexpected. I know, Joey, I know you love these types of cards, but <laughs> I, I would take it one step further. Not counterspells, people have kind of grown to expect them, but just counterspells outside of blue. Okay, those are really unexpected, but like people just forget redirect spells exist sometimes. I, I fully, like right before we were recording, I was playing a game with a friend of the show, Aaron Radney, fantastic artist, check him out. And we played a terrific game where a redirect effect changed the course of that game. We were playing against um, some of our patrons and one of them was on a mill deck that was getting a bunch of stuff into the graveyard. And Aaron got an airy interlude into the graveyard, which if he, you know, the airy interlude is that amazing obs on spell that would bring all of your permanents out of your graveyard right back into play. Joey from the editing booth here. In this story, I meant the card Eerie Ultimatum, not Eerie Interlude. Card names are hard. Carry on. And Aaron gets the Eternal Witness to return target card from the graveyard back to hand. And he's like, all right, then I could be able to get that Eerie Interlude and cast it. And here's all my graveyard again. And a deflecting SWAT to redirect. Actually, no, I'm not going to let you get back target Eerie Interlude. You're going to target that <laughs> wild growth in your graveyard instead. Like, it changed the course of that game. And thank goodness that it did. Uh, yeah, that was um, a, a very a clutch kind of move. And yeah, those redirects really caused some truly terrific things to happen. It's not a true redirect. But like Narset's Reversal is one of those cards that that does nothing but ridiculous <laughs> things. Um, I think I hit you with it, Joey, on a Peer into the Abyss. Oh, where yeah. You paid half your life. Rude. Yeah, it was rude. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, like and uh, patron supporter uh, Seaburn Visitor um, in Chicago. We were playing a game two years ago. I think this was, and and I I still remember this. Um, not only is the Sign and Blood kill fantastic, it's even better if the person's at four life. And you sign in blood and then Narciss reversal. <laughs> and then sign in blood. And then sign in blood again. Mm -hmm. So you can hit them for four damage with, with the double sign in bloods. Um, I mean, I, 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 every time I see Narciss reversal or Seab, I will think of that happening. Yeah, those are terrific. I'll also count uh, Wild Ricochet amongst favorites here yeah. because that's the, the red four mana. It redirects and copies the spell as well. And I just think that's really, really enjoyable. I don't see it as much as I should. I, I feel like, you know, it shows up in 22,000 decks. That, that's definitely a, a nice number for it. But it could, I feel like this is one of those cards that always ends up being like my 102nd card or 103rd. And so sure. I end up cutting it, but I shouldn't cut it. I love this card so, so much. And the new display of power from the Lord of the Rings set as well. That's another that I'm just excited to see because like doing the copy of the spells thing, you can pull off some really ridiculous moves by letting your version of an opponent's spell resolve before theirs gets to resolve. See, I, I, I'm i going to bring us back to Narset's Reversal because that truly is a card that just makes for so many stories. Not only because it's such a massive swing in momentum, it not only it's it doesn't just counter a spell, it gets you that spell for yourself. And that's just, that is such a huge swing, but just... Holy cow, it does so many different things too. It's better than Remand <laughs> where you get to draw the card because also you can just exile spells and bounce them back to people's hands that can't be countered. And I know that this is the most shameful thing that's ever happened to me as a green mage, but Last March of the Ents can't be countered, but it can be Narset's Reversaled. And it's <laughs> yeah. so yeah. obnoxious. But I, I, I just cannot speak enough about Narset's Reversal. It's such a fantastic card. This is probably, the of all cards we've talked about so far today, 
Narcissus reversal has been responsible for so many more memories than anything else that we've talked about. I, I think we've literally mentioned the Narcissus reversal last March of the Ends thing like three times yeah. <laughs> on the past six episodes. That's, if that's not proof enough that that is a card capable of making stories because we literally can't shut up about it. Like, I, I wish we would because my shame <laughs> needs to recover. You brought it up. <laughs> I know. Like the only thing that thing can't steal is a segue. That challenge the stats, stats. segue. I was going to make the same joke. I was just like, speaking of Narcissus reversal, let's lay down a Narcissus reversal. On this. It was just lingering there in the it air was. for like the last two minutes. Matt, Matt did a, a double with you there. I was busy responding to what he said that I couldn't. Yeah. You, you snagged it right out from under there. But <laughs> I could see the thought bubbles above Joey's head as he was like waiting to make his move. Literally. Yeah. You literally saw me pondering on that one. <laughs> and then you, we just had a Narcissus reversal off. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, yeah, there's a lot of data on Ediotrek, but we don't always agree with all of it. Sometimes we'd like to challenge those stats, which we will do right after this quick break. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Holidays are often a time of gift giving, but they're also a good time to stop and reflect and make sure that you're also being giving to yourself which weirdly isn't always an easy thing to do. I know that sometimes on my own, I struggle to figure out when I'm doing self-care versus when I'm being too self-indulgent. And something that I like about therapy, especially a therapy service that helps you find the right therapist for you, is that a licensed professional can help navigate those difficulties to make sure that, for instance, I don't forget to challenge myself so that I can continue to grow, but also to make sure that I'm gentle with myself when I need to be. So whether it's by starting therapy or going easier on yourself during the tough moments or treating yourself to a day of complete rest, remember to give yourself some love this holiday season. In the season of giving, give yourself what you need with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com EDH today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot EDH. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. So, since I 
am innocent of the uh, the the stolen segue this week. I'm going to start us off here first. So uh, this week, I have a challenge. I, I've been researching and going back through some some recent commanders that I might have missed. And Shalai and Halar just seems so exciting for me to play just because it rewards you for just for doing one thing really, really well. And one card that I'm kind of surprised hasn't caught on a little bit more than it has. I, I do understand why, because it it gets a lot of play in standard and that can kind of take copies away from commander players. But Virtue of Loyalty is absolutely fantastic for Shalai and Halar decks. So Virtue of Loyalty is one of those new, well, not really new anymore because it's only Wilds of Eldraine, which was 20 years ago in, in internet years. <laughs> right. But Virtue of Loyalty has an adventure side where it's just one in a white to create a 2-2 uh, knight creature token with vigilance, but the enchantment that comes down for five mana is where it really gets spicy. Where at the beginning of your end step, you put a plus one plus one counter on each creature you control, and you untap those creatures. So you give them kind of pseudo vigilance, which is very handy. We've talked about how vigilance is kind of underrated, but with Shalai and Alar, they have an ability that says whenever one or more plus one plus one counters are put on a creature you control, Shalai and Halar deal that much damage to target opponent. That right there, just being able to put tokens and counters on every single creature you control makes there so much upside for Shalai and Halar. It's only being played in 318 Shalai and Halar decks total, which is not that many at all. I'm kind of shocked that this hasn't caught on more because powerful interactions are always worth paying for, even if they do get, you know, worth, you know, five, ten bucks or so. But this is absolutely a powerful, powerful interaction. It's just going to win you games. Shalai and Halar decks love doubling up on counters too. Mm. But also just there's a lot of creatures in these decks. You're going to play the Mana Gorger Hydras, Forgotten Ancients. But then there's a lot of different token makers too. So if you have a bunch of tokens out there, you're going to get 15 damage a turn. And it's not that hard to imagine that. So if you are playing Shalai and Halar decks... I absolutely think Virtual Loyalty is a card you should be considering just because the massive upside with Shalai and Halar, but also it just makes your army bigger, which is never bad either. Matt, I disagree with you. This isn't going to deal that, like, I think you said, what, 15 damage? Or, no, you're going to have hardened scales in that deck. You're going to have branching evolution exactly. in that deck. It, it's going to deal 30 when it finally resolves. Like, yeah, definitely a, a, a way, way cool effect. I'll move into our listener-submitted challenge, the stats here now, and this comes to us from our listener, Jakob, in our Discord, who wanted to talk about the card Guildless Commons and Ghost Town in decks like AC, Tyrant of Gyre Straits, so landfall decks in general. Uh, Ghost Town was actually, I think it might have been the first card that I ever challenged on the very first episode of this podcast, a fantastic colorless land that on another player's turn can bounce itself back to your hand. Play this in your landfall decks, people. Jakob is bringing up that it's currently only in 8% of AC decks, and that's definitely too low for a commander that draws you a card every time you play a land. But then also Guildless Commons will focus on here as well, which Jacob points out only shows up in 20% of AC decks. Guildless Commons is the colorless bounce land. So in this color pair, you've already got like Simic Growth Chamber, which is going to give you both a green and a blue. It'll enter tapped. Uh, you bounce a land back to your hand when it hits the field. That one's showing up in like 85% of AC decks, and for good reason. It's fantastic. It's really good for landfall decks in general. We know that we love bounce lands. I'll grant you, Guildless Commons is not as good as the, the actual color producing that Simic Growth Chamber will give you. But AC in particular, like Matt, I'll actually turn this into a question back at you because you've had an AC deck. 
How often do you find yourself with just your bounce land in that deck and you just play it and immediately bounce the land back to hand and then play it again and then bounce it back to hand and like just draw cards that way by bouncing the same land over and over? Oh, I absolutely have done it several times. And if you're if you're the monster that I am and you're playing Amulet of Vigor, you're stealing <laughs> a page right out of the modern Amulet Titan decks and you're just bouncing it, untapping the land, tapping it for two mana, and then it goes back to your hand. So it's kind of a ritual when you think about it. it there's a lot of synergies with bounce lands in general. I absolutely love them. And I do play them in AC. I play them in pretty much any of my landfall decks, just because sometimes you run out of lands, you need something else there. So this is this is a great challenge. Yeah, yeah. This is definitely a great one to put your eyes on. Thank you so much, Jacob, in our Discord for suggesting it. Guildless commons, and especially that ghost town, even more underrated. If you're doing landfall stuff, take a look at some of these colorless lands because the utility they offer in letting you get more and more landfall triggers in unusual ways, it's it, it sometimes it's hard to outmatch them. These are very, very good cards for those decks. Well, the card I want to challenge this week is also from Wilds of Eldraine. Um Asinine Antics. Hmm. Um, not only does it have a great name, it's a really good card. Uh, <laughs> two and two blue. Um, you may cast it as though it had flash. You pay two more. But the really the important part here is for each creature your opponent's control, create a cursed roll token attached to that creature. Um, if you control another roll on it, you put that into the graveyard and the enchanted creature becomes a 1-1. One, one. So it's a great way to just reduce the power and toughness of all the creatures that you have to worry about dealing with. Then you cast that Golgari charm or whatever it is that we were talking about earlier. But even if you don't have that synergy, it's just an excellent card. However, um, it's only right now in about 2% of Brutaclad Telcor Engineer decks. And talking about cards that make stories, oh, that the roll tokens that you create with Asinine Antics are under your control. Oh, no. <laughs> so... It's entirely possible just this week, a Brutaclad player, who's a friend of mine, cast an Asinine Antics, and I only had a couple of creatures in play, so I didn't counter it when I could have. Because I was like, oh, it's hurting everyone else more than it's hurting me, that's just fine. Move to combat, where, uh, <laughs> on Brutaclad, at the beginning of combat, uh, you may choose a token you control, and if you do, each other token you control becomes a copy of that token. Uh, he had some ridiculous token in play and turned the 16 cursed roll tokens he had into those tokens. It's only in right now about 2.5% of Brutaclad decks, and it should be in all of the Brutaclad decks. <laughs> it is a really good card on its own, and the ability to make a gazillion tokens is busted. Play more Asinine Antics, and if you're playing Brutaclad, absolutely play more Asinine Antics. Dana, that's one of the most disgusting stories you've ever told on this podcast. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> okay. it, it nuts. I, I feel like asinine is actually not the correct word to use there. It, it's actually very, right, right, it's, yeah. it's very nine. It, yeah. it's, it's very like this. That is a blowout and a half. What a cool yeah. pick. I'm I'm way, way into that. My brother has a Brutoclad deck, and I'll probably recommend that he use this one as well. That's a really cool suggestion. Well, I mean, not when you're playing against, like, wait until after you finish playing for the night. Wait until... <laughs> Okay, we'll get back into our main topic here, and I, I can't believe it's taken me this long to mention this card. The, the next thing that I feel like we absolutely have to discuss is going to be Brizella. The, the combination of Bruna and Gisela, 
this is a story card as well that just like when you see a Brizella, that is a noteworthy thing. I once played a game where I saw it flip twice and that is just especially fantastic. So you've got one half is Bruno, which can get back any angel or human from your graveyard. And then you've got Gisela, who is kind of a small Baneslayer light. She's got a bunch of keywords, but if they're both on the battlefield, they will flip and meld into Brizella Voice of Nightmares, a 9-10 colorless Eldrazi angel flying first strike vigilance lifelink that also stops your opponents from casting uh, any spells that cost three mana or less thing is ludicrous but just the ability to see a true meld thing actually occur those are also those types of like classic fantastic edh moments and so brazella i can't have this episode go out without me mentioning this amazing eldrazi angel i don't know if that's more of a story card or if it's an achievement unlocked type of card <laughs> i think both are certainly applicable to this card uh i've seen it happen once and i definitely remember exactly when and where it was and how yeah. quickly i lost to it when it finally happened <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of overlap between achievement unlocked and the story cards i think um and yes i've seen it happen one time too and i 100 percent remember everything about that game that's one of those things that makes a mark in your memory and it's yeah a, a perfect example are, are, are those really difficult to achieve things when I mean, you see someone pull them off it is a memory made every time. So, so talking about like remembering the first time you saw a thing happen, um, I wound up putting the card Psychic Possession in a deck years ago because I, I happen to have a foil of it. I'm like, I want to try this card. I don't think it's any good. It, it does see some play in the the Tigum deck where you skip your draw step anyway because Psychic Possession makes you skip your draw step. It's it's blue blue to colorless. And whenever the person you enchant with draws a card, you draw a card. So in the Tigum deck, there's no downside to it. You're already skipping your draw step. Mm -hmm. um, but I wanted to try it out. So I, I put it in a deck, and when I first drew it, I, I was playing against, um, I think it was actually the same friend who had the Bruticlad deck that I was just talking about. Um, he was playing a Kess deck that was that's filled with like efficient draw spells. And I'm like, oh, he's probably got a couple draw spells here. I will hit him with the Psychic Possession and hopefully draw a few cards. And I, I, I placed it. He had never seen it before. He reads the card, looked at his hand, read the card again, looked back at his hand, <laughs> and then read the card a third time. And then just leaned over and showed me his entire hand of like six cards. And it was literally six draw spells. <laughs> was what it was, is all he had. It was, you know, like Vic Faithless looting, brainstorm. But like, uh, and he's like, does it just shrugged? Like, eh, I guess this is happening. Yeah. And, and you know, not every time I cast it does something like that happen, obviously, but like plenty of times I do that and, you know, the person has a Sylvan library out and they're like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. Oh, I, geez, that's a draw effect when I draw those cards on Sylvan library. Like there's, there's just a lot of weird interaction with Psychic Possession that make it a memorable card whenever it hits the field. Yeah, I, I remember when I very first built my uh, Feather the Redeemed deck, uh, you put that Psychic Possession onto me in one of my my flagship games with it, one of my, my Maiden Voyage uh, games with that. And you drew so many cards off of me because it turns out Feather has a lot of cantrips that she can yeah, play. Yeah. And we were all just kind of stunned that the deck that was drawing the most cards at the deck was the Boros deck, which was kind right. of a, a novel <laughs> moment right then when uh, War of the Spark had just come out, um, and how, how correct it was for the blue player to <laughs> put that, the, <laughs> right. the yeah. Psychic Possession onto the Boros deck, and that was the only way that you kept up with my card draw. It was, right. Yeah, that is also one of those cards that like, yep, yeah. I remember, I was right, I could put myself right back into that moment. Such a cool card, such a great card. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's funny that you, this card, is, it does so much with dealing with, oh, well, my opponent's going to be doing things so I may as well just benefit from those. One of my favorite cards, well, there's two cards actually kind of fall into this category, deal with 
doing the things for your opponents, um, cruel entertainment and worst fears. I have never <laughs> not seen these cards resolve and just absolute nonsense ensued. So cruel entertainment is it's an older card. It's from one of the pre-constructed commander sets from a few years ago. Six and a black for sorcery. Choose target player and another target player. The first player controls the second player during the second player's turn, and the second player controls the first player during the first player's turn. So you can just sit there and quite literally like the art, there's just puppets playing against each other. <laughs> it is so fun to watch. And Worst Fears is basically just a, you control the next player's turn and you exile Worst Fears, all about just manipulating and just stealing people. So it's, it's mind slaver that isn't just oppressive and unfun, but especially when it's you watching two other players swap turns, that is one of my favorite things to see happen. And just, Oh my gosh, there, there hasn't been just an absolute silly time whenever either of these have been played and nobody's playing these. These are in a combined like 9,000 decks. Nobody's playing these anymore because I, I don't know why. Spell table, maybe? It's hard to play over spell table. <laughs> that, that's totally fair, yeah. Cruel Entertainment itself only being in, like, not even 3,300. I feel like, also, like, Cruel Entertainment, if you choose this on two other people, it's probably in their best interest to, like, try and point their turns at you for messing with them, right? But the thing is, the first person who goes and has their turn, uh, and they're like taking that person's turn, they have no guarantee whether the person who's about to take their turn is going to act kindly as well. Yeah. Like this also opens up, like you can make some some deals, you can hopefully make some deals, you can try to make some deals, but you really don't have guarantees. Um, there's a social contract that can enter into that, but like if a person's not willing to make a deal with you, then who knows what they're going to do when they take your turn. Uh, so yeah, a very dangerous card that will really throw off probably everything that I was planning to do at a very crucial stage in the game if you are going to cast it and mess with me. So yeah. uh, it can really throw a lot of stuff. At, like Ideally, we can see a way through this madness. We'd be like, okay, we can probably let this happen in a way that won't benefit the nasty Matt person who cast this spell on us, right? But we don't have a guarantee that we're going to do that. So yeah, you do get that puppet effect of it because of the, the mind game that it puts into us. The, these cards are basically the trust fall of the Magic the Gathering world for a commander <laughs> game. Like, do you trust? I, I trust you to catch me, but do you trust me to catch you? Uh, I'll move us here to another example. Uh, th this is a, a late addition to my notes, but once I put it into my notes, I'm surprised that I didn't think of it first for this show. Uh, that's the card Mirror Weave. Um, Mirror Weave is an Azorius spell, an instant that's two mana and then a white-blue hybrid, white-blue hybrid. Um, and it says each other creature becomes a copy of target non-legendary creature until end of turn. I've put this into my plus one plus one counters deck with uh, my Rehan and Ishai combination, and it can't target legendary creatures. It has to target a non-legendary creature. Um, but in that deck, I have stuff like Colonian Hydra or, or Walking Ballista, which are base power zero zeros. So when I've cast the spell, I've been able to turn every creature in play into a zero zero, except mine have counters on them and other people's are just the base zero zero. Um, so that's a really fun way to do some one-sided board wipe nonsense. And actually the commander that plays this card the most often, according to EDH Rec, is Noyandar Royal Shaper, which will um, animate your lands, turn them into zero zeros with plus one counters on them. So again, you can have everyone else's creature turned into a zero zero land and they'll just those creatures will immediately die as a result of that so it's kind of cool just for that but it's also really cool to do that same type of thing that you were talking about earlier dana and just like 
kind of do a, a sudden spoiling type of move when people are engaged in combat. Like, swoop, you didn't expect it, but now everything is like a zero one plant token. Whoops about it. Like, this also can cause some very silly stuff to happen midway through a, a big battle in a way that I'm a big fan of too. Yeah, I, I think my favorite use I've ever seen of, of Mirror Weave was in an Arcades Strategist deck where the person on an alpha strike just turned all your creatures or all my creatures into walls. <laughs> Like, oh, that feels real bad. Not only are they zero twos, they suddenly can't attack. Um, yeah. <laughs> in, in, in like, again, like, you know, they don't care. It doesn't affect them at all. Um, yep. So, yeah, like, it's it's one of those cards that has a ton of versatility. Like, I talked about sudden spoiling and reigns of power or or even the, the, the cards that with modular options or the charms. There are so many different ways to use it. And every time you manage to pull it off, no one's ready for it. And it's slightly different. Yeah, there there are also some newer-ish versions of this type of effect that will allow you to turn stuff into legendary. Things like Nanogene Conversion just came out. Augmented Pugilist, the back half of that one is the, I think it's called Echoing Equation, um, that spell. Uh, so there are a lot of other things that will allow you to play around in this area. And genuinely, I recommend playing around in this area. Um, I have an effect like this in my zombie deck, and that's Sakashima's Will to turn all of my zombies into a copy of one Anthem Zombie, one Lord of the Undead that is giving them all plus one, plus one. And now all 10 of my zombies are giving all of my other 10 zombies plus one plus one so now i'm attacking not just for like the modest three damage per zombie but i'm attacking for 11 damage per zombie like these types of weird change copy effects can do a whole lot of work uh if you're willing to take a shot on them because i know they don't look reliable and in many cases they won't have a good use case but when they do it's a blowout i i love cards that change and get you a copy of something that's already around especially if there's some sort of attack trigger uh, the, the, the new merfolk that turns into a copy of a creature that you control at the beginning of your combat. Mm. Say you cast a Pathbreaker Ibex. Well, it doesn't have haste. You can't attack with it. But if you already had this merfolk on the battlefield to attack for you because it becomes a copy yeah. of Pathbreaker Ibex, there's a lot of play there. I, I like these kinds of cards. Yes, they don't enter the battlefield as a copy of the best ETB triggers that you have, but there's plenty of other things that you could be copying. Like you said, Joey, copying a Lord or an Anthem effect, that's absolutely powerful. I, I There's so many use cases for cards like this. The, the fact that it can go both ways, you can use it to turn your offensively, or you can use it like there's always going to be some terrible creature on the field when you're playing with three opponents that you can choose to make someone's alpha strike into copies of that that one one that birds of paradise or something like there's always going to be something out there that you're willing to turn everything into a copy of defensively as well. And the versatility is what makes the, the, this card really, really fun. I'm realizing in this moment how desperately I do not want Matt to have two different copies of Pathbreaker Ibex. <laughs> Just like that sounds like a nightmare because the first one will resolve and buff, and then the other one's power will be bigger and will give an even bigger buff when it checks that ability upon its resolution. Matt, please don't do this to me. Actually, I can make zero promises when it comes to this. <laughs> In a similar vein, a card I've kind of fallen in love with in the last several months is Court of Vantress. Uh, two blue blue, when it ETBs, you become the monarch. Um, and at the beginning of your upkeep, choose up to one other target enchantment or artifact. If you are the monarch, you may create a token that's a copy of it. But even if you're not, you can just have Court of Vantress become a copy of that, except it still has this ability. So worst case scenario, you draw your free card off being the monarch, and then on your upkeep, you have Court of Vantress become a copy of the best enchantment in play. Um, that's really, really solid. But if you can hold on to the Monarch, you can just make a copy of that target enchantment and have a token that's there for the rest of the game. 
Um, this only does dumb stuff. Like it, <laughs> it, it never does anything that isn't ridiculous. Um, you know, I, I've, I've made copies of Storm of Soromon with it. I've, I've made copies of Psychic Possession with it. Um, <laughs> it. It just does silly, silly things every time. I don't think I've put it in play where it didn't do something that was worth talking about at the end of the game. If, if the card Mirror Maid, the three mana blue enchantment that can enter the battlefield as a copy of any artifact or enchantment on the battlefield, can show up in 48,899 decks then this card might have a similar future trajectory as well because i've seen yeah. you make all those copies dana and it's ludicrous <laughs> like absolutely bonkers especially if you're putting it into a deck that has the capability to double up the number of tokens you're making well it like it, it's so silly and so fun that like ha having ran this and and mirror made i'm like oh i should try estrid's invocation and put that in the deck and that worked out so well i've now added copy artifact as well so like <laughs> i'm just running all of the versions of this in that deck and every time it's something absurd i remember i really liked estrid's invocation when it first came out i just never knew what to do with it and now i realize it's like Fifteen dollars, and there's no way that I'm right. going to get yeah. it. Yeah, I'm going to spend that much on a card that I want to experiment with. Sure, because I yeah, I just don't know what I would do. But it's another one of those cards. This is especially, it's always good when Dana plays it or somebody else plays it. But if I were to try it, it's just absolute garbage. <laughs> <laughs> I've ran into plenty of cards like that, so I, I understand what you're saying. That is, that, that is splendid. Um, and then kind of rounding things out here, the last example I want to throw out is uh, er earlier, Matt, you alluded to some cards that have that like achievement unlocked type of feeling to them. And I think that those also, depending on which ones you use, those also can have those like, this creates a moment that I'll remember forever type of feeling as well. Those unusual alternate win condition cards can kind of feel that way. So not like Approach of the Second Sun, not like Thassa's Oracle, but like when, when I put a Mortal Combat into my deck, if I get to my upkeep and I have 20 more creatures in my graveyard, I'll win the game. Those types of things where I'm just like, if I can pull that off, that will be a story. It doesn't create a story every single time because most of the time when I play it, I do not get anywhere close. But when I do, it's just like it's it's a it's a story in potential, <laughs> if that makes any sense. Um, and I think that those just deserve a mention here. Yeah, a card having the 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 pos the possibility, I think, is what's kind of beautiful. The knowing that this card that you have in your deck could do the crazy thing like you always know what rhythmic study is going to be doing and, and that's not to say it isn't a fantastic card it's an absurd card but no one talks about rhythmic study oh man someone played this game the other day and they played a rhythmic study and a bunch of wild stuff happened that isn't a thing that ever occurs <laughs> no and I'm not saying you shouldn't run it for those reasons, but like just the potential of a card to to do something memorable is what excites me. Yeah, I, I, we talk a lot about just potential. And like you, there's always a with charms. We talked about how there's there's so many games where you're always going to find a situation for it and just looking for the opportunity, creating an opportunity. If you put cards in the deck, sometimes it just changes how you're going to build towards it. And like mm -hmm. if you have an alternate win condition, for example, you're going to build towards okay, I'm going to really just dial in on this one thing. And it's, you're, you almost subconsciously are forcing yourself to create memories here too, because you know, you have the potential to do it. Yeah. Like I, I, I remember the times I've been door to nothingness, 
you know? (laughs) (laughs) Right, right, right. Those are things that stick out in my mind because you look at it and you're just like, that'll never happen. And then your brother does it to you and you're just like, dang it. (laughs) (laughs) I remember I played against a deck where it was so convoluted. We could spend an episode explaining how the deck worked, but basically they gave every player a door to nothingness and infinite mana of of every color what and you had to use the door to nothingness on yourself and if you didn't they would stop the trigger and reset the game effectively and then do it all over again it it was like omen machine and all these weird things going on it was (laughs) the most ridiculous thing and we just kind of sat there and just do we walk away do we not give them the satisfaction (laughs) We, we did get we did do that but it was so wild to see that is absolutely nutty. Yeah, yeah. These types of things, um, whether it's like an alternate win con or some of those things like the Phage the Untouchable um, that mm. can like delete one person specifically. Like I've got a Vorpal Blade in my Virtus and Gorm deck and to this day I'm, I haven't gotten it to actually like work out yet where I'll, like, I'll activate the Vorpal Blade and I'll get the, the final death touch against a, a player. Um, but like I keep looking at it and I'm just like one day your moment will come and like that'll be a fun story that I'll keep with me when it does finally actually occur. So I, I'm very excited for it to happen one day and that'll th- that'll be a fun story. And I'm glad to it, it's it feels nice to put cards into your deck that either do create really crazy stories all the time or that have the potential to do so. And and those are uh, that, that's a fun thing to make room for in your EDH uh, deck oeuvre, I guess, you know, cards that you are excited to draw for the first time. There it is. That's a really good feeling. I have so many cards I'm excited to finally draw that I've, I've put in <laughs> decks. They've been there for forever. And or just even if I don't draw them, if I do draw them, actually get them to resolve. Looking at you, last March of the Ents. <laughs> I was just going to say, yeah, Matt, I'm glad that you're drawing them, but I've got a Narcissus reversal waiting for you precisely because of this podcast mm. episode. <laughs> you're going to push me back to therapy with reliving that story. <laughs> And here's the thing. Now that we we keep telling it, you know that when like you go to an event or something like that, listeners are going to be like, hey, Matt, <laughs> I've got a narcissist reversal for that spell you just played. I'm never I'm never going to get to resolve it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're signing us, ourselves up for the same story over and over again with some of these stories. All that's right. that's Matt's going to be Matt's only goal at Magic Con Chicago is to, to resolve a <laughs> yes. last March yes, of the Ends. Yeah. All right. Uh, Listeners, we've got to hear from you about what are your favorite cards that produce the most entertaining moments in EDH. Please let folks know down in the comments. Search the comments down below to see people's suggestions because there are a lot of wild things that can happen in this format. And there are going to be uh, some great ideas that will lead to some really unexpected game nights. Those things that make people lean forward and go, wait, what was that? What happens? Those are what we live for in this game. But with that, I think we're going to call this episode to a close. So fellas, if listeners want to get in touch with us, where is it that they can find us all? Matt? So you can find me on the Twitter and any other social media platform, really, at Mathemus55. That's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And don't forget, we stream over at twitch.tv slash EDHRECCast as well. We do that Wednesday evenings. So make sure you tune in for those games, too. And Dana. You can find me online at Dana Roach. I'm writing articles for EDHREC and Commander's Herald. And you can find all of us together at patreon.com slash EDHRECCast. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me online at Joseph M. Schultz. Most likely I'm making a fool of myself on Instagram or something like that. And you can find the cast at EDHRECCast online. Plus, if you've got a question for us, you can contact us at EDHRECCast at gmail.com. Our thanks go out once again to Chase for their fantastic work in the post-production of the show. You can find them online at Mana Curves. And listeners, we'll be back at you next week with more data and insights but until then remember edh wreck your deck before you wreck your deck